Welcome back to another edition of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young, and I am joined here by the beautiful Victoria Alexis. Hey, thank you for being here. Thanks. It's good to have you. So I, um, for those of you guys who don't know, Victoria and I met as a part of the Morning Meetup, which is an entrepreneurial group that um, meets 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday, which it's a very rare group who's able to do that. And it's really cool to be able to meet like-minded, per- unlike-minded person who's on the same path. And I'm like, okay, they're investing in themselves. I'm investing in myself. And the journey begins. Although the journey has already started for you. So that's the part that I like to get into. So on the Work and Play podcast, I get to interview my boss friends, talk about their career, where they've gone, how they got to their current place. Mm-hmm. And from a philosophical standpoint, the conversation is always around some type of career exploration, life transition, or self-actualization. Because yeah. I'm all about transforming. And I think as human beings, we have that ability to do so. So without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself to the people? Hello. Hello, people. <laughs> hey out there. I am Victoria, as she had mentioned, and yes, named for Queen Victoria. Thank my grandmother. She was specific, and she was like, you are a queen. I would not <laughs> let anybody call me anything different. So, my story, my background, who am I? Um, mostly, I'm a kid from the West Coast, not California. No offense, Calicoats, <laughs> but there are more than one state on the West Coast. I'm from... Pacific Northwest, so where it's rainy and dreary, pretty much 333 days out of the year. Mm-hmm. So, so what state is that? Washington. Oh. Specifically Seattle. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, context closed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that is home, and it's it's where my family is, it's where I grew up, and then I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And here I am, which is where I met this lovely lady. <laughs> 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 and I've been here, I've been here for quite a while, actually. Um, but, yeah, my story, it's... It's an interesting one, and I, I always start with kind of the contrasts in my life, which comes around identity okay. and self-identity. So, number one question that I get, like, my pet peeve, just trips me, is people ask, what are you? Mm. Ooh. Mm. Yes, I'm human. <laughs> Thank you for asking. No, no, no. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What nationality are you? I'm American. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, like, really? What? What are you? Like, are you a little <laughs> You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I am all of the above. I'm all of the above. I am uh, quite often ambiguous. I think, which is what kind of triggers people in. You know, it's it's a very human experience to want to put things in a box and categorize. And it's a part of how we make sense of the world. So I understand it. At the same time, it's something that, you know, frustrated me growing up. Mm-hmm. Where I'm from, the demographics are completely different from Atlanta, Georgia. They're like significantly reversed. So where I grew up, there weren't that many people who looked like 
like me where okay. I'm from. Mm-hmm. And it was always a topic of conversation. So race was always there, even from a very young age. And then not having people who I can identify with and and having that be my experience, I think impacted my sense of identity. Okay. And then I came to Atlanta and it was for college, so I was just a year I went to community college first. So okay. Just a year out Where'd of Where'd you go? Oh, it's back home. Okay. So it was a Tacoma Community College. Nice. Um, right up the street. And then I transferred to go to school here. And I went to Georgia State. Nice. Yes, Georgia State. <laughs> Everybody's like, you came out of state to go to Georgia State? Of course it did. Georgia State's a great school. Yeah, it is a good school. What was your major? And they gave me in state tuition. Uh, sounds like a boss move to me. Yeah, save them dollars. <laughs> At least that was a thought until I got out. Still got the student loan. $33,000 in debt. No, I think it was thirty or something around there. Mm-hmm. Okay, but um, coming to Atlanta was completely different. I almost had like reverse culture shock. I'd never been around so many black people in my life. Mm. And it was great, but different for sure. And uh, I am happy to say that being here has really given me a sense of self, a sense of identity. Not that I didn't have it before, but I feel much more centered. It's an interesting feeling when just at a subconscious level, you're like, mm, I don't know where I belong. Yeah. I'm neither here, neither there. Yeah. My family is very mixed from all over the place. And it's very blended. So I have loved ones everywhere. I can stay at somebody's house across the nation. Love it. No problem. Yeah. Um, so my my biological makeup encompasses black, Asian, native, and white. Okay. Which is a lot to kind of get into for people. But ultimately, that's me. Nice. And uh in a nutshell. What are you? Yeah, <laughs> what are you? And then what do you do? That's always the second question that people ask. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. which is also interesting because they're like, oh, what do you do? Like, I need to figure out, you know, should I respect you or not? Ooh. Are you somebody that I need to engage with? You know, like, I feel like that's always the sub underlining question. Mm-hmm. If I say I'm a doctor, it's like, oh. Yes. You're a doctor. Yes. If I say... That party promoter, it's completely different vibe. Yeah. And then I wonder, me as a party promoter as a woman, they're probably thinking that I am in the services <laughs> industry. Right. <laughs> Good time. Not that. No, no, no. Because a woman could definitely not be the leader or the coordinator of that type of event planning business. Well, it's just not how you typically, like your stereotypical image of women in parties. What do they look like to you? What What's a stereotypical image? It depends on what type of party we're going to now. You pick. <laughs> Your average party in Atlanta. Because well, you, you know Atlanta gets down. That is so true, but I think my perception is skewed. Similar to what you're saying, coming to Atlanta and you getting the perspective of like, all the, I would I would assume all these different types of black people helps you identify yourself in maybe many different people and say, okay, this is who I am and this is what sits well with me. The reason I say this is I could go to a Caribbean party and see a woman with like cut off jeans, 
booty hanging out and t-shirt and she's the person who's running the show. So for me, I mean, I just envision women being in a place of power. And what I really admire about women are those who are able to be feminine, but be powerful at the same time. So like, even you just mentioning like being at a party and, and they thinking, depending on like, oh, what do you do? Party promoter. Oh, she's the one who gets the party started and she's the one who shakes her butt. And you could totally be the person who's just running the books and playing the people and playing the talent. And so, I don't know, that, that's my image of it. So back to you. But even in your description, right, it's like cut-off shorts, booty shorts, especially in Atlanta. Ooh. <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But there's a, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's more, but it lends itself to sexualization. Absolutely. And so when you think about it, it's like, well, if you're the eye candy, if you know you're the bottle girl-looking person, mm-hmm. then bottle girl isn't running the show, per se. Mm-hmm. So... That's only what I mean by what you do kind of defines people automatically have a story attached to whatever it is that you say. Yeah. So um, that's also one of the things that attracts me to my next degree. Your next what degree? Mm -hmm. Well, before we get into your next degree, I think it'll be really great to set a foundation, right? You want my career story. It's not even about your career. But as you develop your identity, you talk about, one, the fact that when you were in Seattle, there wasn't as much foundational grounding in your identity. And then you came to Atlanta and you, you found a little bit more identity, right? So even when you were younger, you had questions about who you wanted to be or even how the question was posed as to how you were going to earn a living. Um so as, as your identity is concerned, even if it doesn't necessarily go with your title, what would you say brought you to where you are today? Mm-hmm. You know, before we even get into like your new degree, we got to get a little clear on how we got to this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it wasn't just the demographics of where I grew up that kind of informed my identity. It was also my family history. Awesome. So coming from a blended family, and having so many different influences, there was a sense of neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never really felt like I belonged. Now, that could be a product of just kind of my age, the eight, my growing, my youthful years as I'm growing into a young adult mm-hmm. for anybody is like that lots of change, lots yeah. of confusion, lots of figuring out. Feeling weird. Right. Yes. And then <clears throat> my time in Atlanta really has been my adult, young adult year. So from a timeline perspective, maybe there wasn't that much difference. But from a cultural background, just being perspective, there was a lot of feeling like I was in the gap. Like, not here, not there. Yeah. Not anywhere. Okay. So reminds me. Dr. Sue? I'm like, that's the only thing that I can think of. So, yeah. You picked up the phone, literally, and was like, oh, Dr. Seuss. I love Dr. Seuss, by the way. 
<laughs> the Places You Will Go is a favorite book of mine, and I have it, a copy of it. And you know, if you haven't read it, or if you haven't read it in a long time, you should definitely read it. Because if you think about it, like, mm. that in an essence is core story of, hey, you're starting now, you're going to go on this journey, this is this life. And okay. You can become this great human being. So for me, I'm like, yes, Dr. Susie had it right. Okay, well, before that sounds like a really dope book. So, because I don't think I've ever read that. Really? No. Places you'll go. The yeah. So no. okay. So the places you'll go is all about you know becoming a human being and being being able to start off in the world. Okay, which is only fitting because you're telling us how you got your start in the world and your identity <laughs> and how it's all shaped in this beautiful human being we have today. Yes. <laughs> so the transformation. Um, I, you know, it's kind of like working out. Okay. You don't, you could do some push-ups, you can run day one. You're not going to really see any results. You keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. You're consistent. At some point in time, you'll look in the mirror and you'll see that something, that it's different, you've changed. Absolutely. You are fit. Yeah. But you don't know exactly when it happened. It right. wasn't like, this day I woke up and ta-da. So when I think about it that way, I can't pinpoint uh, a day where it's like, ooh, I know who I am now. Mm -hmm. I still don't, you know, I still am in discovery and exploration. Absolutely. And change. Absolutely. It's so fluid. Yeah. But if I look back and I look at where I was, how I felt, and where I am now, Without a doubt, I can absolutely say I'm much more centered as a person. Absolutely. So what would you say are some of those um, primary puzzle pieces? Because I, I imagine when we pass away, the puzzle will be complete. But as far as it goes now, we're literally just adding pieces to the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't know what the story, we don't know what the entire picture looks like, but we're working our way in. Like, this color fits with this color. Okay, perfect. We got a match. And then we're just mm -hmm. matching pieces of our story from the past to our future. So, like, what are some of those, like, beginning pieces that help you, even though you came to Atlanta and you found grounding in your identity, mm -hmm. what are some of the links that you made from those early puzzle pieces to today? Links. So, I think there are moments where I was just like, huh. And some of them are so basic. Yeah. I work. Uh, I've, I've worked in the service industry, so restaurants, that, that kind of service, guys. <laughs> I said, now this is the girl. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean like restaurants, hostess, bartenders, servers, that kind of thing. Uh, I was a host at the time, and I came into my shift. It was, we had just opened. And I'm a few minutes early, so we're not quite open yet. There's actually no one in the restaurant, but I can look over to the, it's like an open kitchen kind of setup. I look over and they are busy, slammed, like making so much food. Wait, what's going on here? What's all this? Mm -hmm. I asked somebody and then, you know, my coworker, fellow hostess says, oh, someone placed a really large order. Mm -hmm. And it was right around the holiday time. I think it was maybe... I don't know, December 23rd or something. Okay. Um, and I'm like, huh, interesting. 
And the first thing I thought was, okay, that's cool. But then, you know, we had some time to kill, and I'm thinking, like, oh, who placed this order? And I start thinking about, like, oh, who is this person? Who has this much food? Why? And I started to become curious, like, huh. And um, turns out my first inclination, I would have never thought it was a black person. Mm -hmm. And not because black people don't buy food, but just more like, this is a lot of food, it's a lot of money. And then when I seen the person coming, I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, oh, her husband must do something, Mm -hmm. you know? And... Dang, I could just slap myself. You know, these are the kind of things you don't want to put on video, but they're true stories. <laughs> yes. And they're really good examples of, of reconditioning and reframing through experience, which is very important. Uh, so anyway, so she comes in, and and I wasn't the one to check her out. It was uh, my other host, co-worker, one of the servers who kind of helped her out, and okay. of course she got the tip or, or whatnot, but... I was still curious. I was like, oh, okay, so what's the backstory? What's the deal? Yeah, yeah. Right? And turns out she was an engineer. So absolutely, not only can she afford it, but she graduated from Georgia Tech. And she ended up getting the food because her son was in the military, was coming home. And she was cooking a big meal for Christmas Eve but didn't want to cook, double cook both those days, so they ordered the food. And it, it was one of those moments where I just kind of had to internally slap myself for perpetuating biases. Mm. The two fronts. You know, my assumption of who has the ability to spend this much money on food. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the thought, when I get more information, that, oh, if it's a woman, it's attached to a man. That's the only way. Mm-hmm. And so literally, internally slap myself. But I would say for me, that was a moment that was defining for my identity because it, give, it gave me a sense of awareness that, well, there are people out here who look like me who are doing these things and who have reached these levels, these echelons of... Um, uh, to, to afford the ability to do these things, like buy, I don't know, $2,000 worth of takeout. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's moments like that that happened while I've been in Atlanta that has really been really centered. And I think it's really important for those who aren't in this space or who live here or who haven't grown up with that mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. to be able to understand and know and to see. Um, that, yeah, people are doing well and people who you can identify with, whether it's looks or not, Mm -hmm. what's important is people you can identify are doing well. And I think that's very important for the human psyche, whether it's us as women, individuals, uh, you know, young adults, whomever, being able to have positive examples of success. And see that within people you can identify with. Absolutely. It sounds like before, um, you probably had one idea of what success looked like. From your eyes, success was, uh, you know, 
in certain circles, a, a white male, that's the one who had the money. Um, but then even as a black person, as a black woman, or even as a, you know, woman who's deciding what, you know, what is my identity? What's my race? Figuring out what success looked like for you maybe was more like a, a gray area. And I think that gave, it sounds like it gave you a nugget to, to follow and say, huh, like this is my first like gingerbread, gingerbread, uh, <laughs> yeah, gingerbread crumb <laughs> to what success could look like for me. Right. Or even just, yeah, what could look like for me or, yeah, yeah, basically. Hmm. So did, did the fact that she was an engineer have any impact on you? Yeah, it was cool as hell. <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's smart. And Georgia Tech, all right, good girl. Like, Is that why you came to Atlanta? Like, what made you go from Seattle to Atlanta? Like, did you know much about the schools here? Oh, um, I was never. So there's a couple things, I believe. One, the world's a big place, and it's meant to be explored. Mm-hmm. And so fundamentally, there's no way I was staying at home, the way I was staying in Washington. So school offered me a really good opportunity to get out and explore, experience life. Mm -hmm. So I looked at, all the colleges that I looked at were out of state. So school is a great opportunity for me to get out and explore. I was originally going to go to school in Pennsylvania and uh, went on a college tour. And when I went... It was 17 degrees out. So, you know, this wasn't really the best place for me. I need warm. I need green. I need trees. And on top of that, it was expensive. So, in line with that, fast forward to, this was, I think this must have been my junior year or so, is before I graduated. By the time I graduated, I was like, I don't really know. But I went to go visit my sister, who happened to be, and still does, live here okay. in Atlanta. And I didn't ask her to, but, you know, she's a very thoughtful person. So she signed us up to do a tour at Georgia State. I'm like, okay. Well, I was like, oh, this is cool. Okay. And I asked the question, and I was like, hey, what about in-state tuition? They're like, yeah, you can apply for a waiver and... And all that, and I said, okay. So I applied for a waiver. See, you should always look for savings. Ask, ask, because if you don't ask, can't see you. And <laughs> I definitely am one to ask questions. I love it. Yes. So I applied for the waiver. They gave it to me, and I was like, ooh, in-state tuition? This is much more affordable than what my plan was, which was to come all the way out here, go to community college for a year, get in-state, to, in, in-state residency, right. and then go to a four-year. Because okay. I was going to go directly into what was then Perimeter Metropolitan College, the community college. Yeah. Did you know what you were going to major in? No. Okay. So what was... Oh, I lied. Okay. I lied. I lied. I didn't know. You didn't know? College. What did you want to do when you were going to major then? Um, so I went to community college back in Washington. And then I met a teacher who had an industrial organizational psychology background. Okay. I was like, yeah. I was like, huh, this thing's interesting. Yes. And it was a good blend. I love business. The bottom line of business, it's really about 
hey, you're either doing it or you're not. You're black or red. You're either doing well mm-hmm. or you aren't. Mm-hmm. And then um, psychology. It's all about people, which I, I find people very interesting. Yeah. So I was like, man, this is a degree for me. Seems like it's right up my alley. Yeah. So when I came here and I enrolled for you, that was my plan and my path. I decided to double major in business and psychology. Okay. So you were makeshifting your own I.O. psychology degree. We didn't, like Georgia, Georgia State didn't have an I.O. psychology? No. Okay. But I knew, so in psychology, you have to at least get a master's, at least, mm-hmm. because you just really can't do anything with a bachelor's. So that's I mean, nothing doing. in the field, at least. Absolutely. At least a master's, right? <laughs> yeah. But If not PhD. Yeah. But. So you decided to tackle on business so that you could do something with it? Is that what happened? Because industrial organizational psychology is that it, it's like psychology of business. So mm-hmm. there's two, two, two branches of it. There's, so the history of it, it actually started with the military. And when they started kind of assessing, I don't know, military personnel or, or whatnot. And, and then when you think about it from an academic or business space, there's two branches. One's kind of more the HR route where it deals with um, putting together job descriptions. Someone with an IO psych background can put together job descriptions. There are other people, okay. you know, backgrounds, HR professionals who can do that. But it's not just the description. It's also like you consider making the assessment to determine if someone is a fit for that job description. Okay. Or, um, yeah, things of that nature. So more the HR kind of realm branch of it. And then on the other side of it is uh, more of a hey, what's going on in my organization? Right. If I need to get a lot of companies like employee voice, employee view, those type of surveys to figure out how people are really feeling. If it's it's an IO site person, might, they might hire them yeah. if they're going through a reorg. Absolutely. Or at least a smart company should, right? Yeah. I feel like IO psychologists are more so synonymous for that um, that organization, that effective organizational organizational effectiveness or like you said that change management side of things because mm-hmm. lord knows they're underutilized in the job description section i mean like 70 to 90 percent of the job descriptions <laughs> on there are not the job at hand and then you have a lot of like hiring managers and and people who are just making up the job descriptions just to put them on the board like i'm not sure mm-hmm. if the hiring process is like it used to be when io psychology was in that route but that makes sense. So you decided to create a, a version of IO psychology yourself, and you bit, you majored in both business and psychology. Mm-hmm. And and then what, what happened next? So that was so. This is all for undergrad. This was my plan for undergrad because I was like, well, I'm going to get my master's in IO psych. So let me get the business background and the psychology background. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't the smartest thing to do because it was literally the equivalent of getting two degrees. Um, because none of the classes overlapped enough for me to kind of streamline it, make it more efficient, mm-hmm. which is why I ended up dropping psychology to a minor and then keeping business as my major. Also because I realized that for what I really wanted to do, I didn't want to go the, the HR route branch mm-hmm. of IO psych. I really wanted to do more of a business. So org behavior, um, things of that nature. And I thought, 
do the same thing with an MBA for much faster and just direct. And I felt like business was a a more stable degree, I think. Not stable. Let me not say it that way. It was more, I could do more with it. Yeah. If I have a business degree, I could do more with it. Yeah. I'll be honest. I went business because of the prestige. It was either that or wealth management, but wealth management was like consumer economics. It was it sounded more home ecky. And I was like, I don't know if I can brand this. Let's just go business. Let's go corporate finance. They know exactly what I want to do with that. So I went when you say like, you know, economical state, I mean you said stable. I was like, prestige, look, you know exactly what this business degree does. Let's just run it. Yeah, you know, corporate finance was my worst class. Well one of I almost wanted mine too. (laughs) That's why I'm not a finance person. (laughs) Absolutely. I just got the degree, which lets you know that I can learn finance, but don't have me out here trying to be somebody's CFO. So back to you. (laughs) Well, I mean, most people, I don't feel like most people go to school, don't work in what they went to school for. Absolutely. Only 20%. Really? Actually, do. Mm hmm. Look at that, you got stats. <laughs> yes, come with those stats, girl. Yes. Okay, so that was college. Those are the moves that I made in college from a, a degree perspective. I uh, am very much, to kind of shorten this collegiate academic story okay. uh, or portion of my story. I'm a non-traditional student. I always worked when I was in school. Um, sometimes three jobs, two jobs plus school, or three at one point. But I had specific goals in mind that I was looking to achieve. And then um, I was in school for six years because I kept finding reasons to stay in school. So I am a, a lifelong learner. And so for me, that environment was just like, yes. Yeah. And then Fun ran out, and I was like, this is getting expensive. <laughs> it's time to go. Yeah, for six years in college, $30,000 in debt is not that bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. This is coming from a person who, I didn't cry, but I darn near thought about not going to school because it meant me having to take out loans. Yeah. And my mom, I remember talking to my mom, and she was like, look, this is what you, this is just how it works. So you, this is what you're going to do. Mm. Period. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to. Oh my goodness. I don't want to be in debt. Anyways. um, So six years later, what did you do with with the degree that you did have? What was your first job out of college? Er, Well, technically, technically my first job out of college was my current job, my current employer. Not, I'm not doing the same thing with the same team, but technically, that was my first, eh, I can't even say that was my first job, because it definitely wasn't. I've worked since I was 15. Absolutely, yeah. And I've done a variety of things, and being in school for six years and working, it wasn't just all service. So, if you look at my resume, mm-hmm. especially when I was, like, interviewing, you know, people would look at the resume and be like, wow. You have a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to do? I'm like, whatever the business need is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm adaptable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have 
all the catchphrases down. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they employed you. Well, I also had a strategy when it came to time for looking for a job, and we can get into that transition bit. So, long story short, academic career, six years. Um, I thought I always looked at college as the uh, is basically a place for opportunities. I went to look good on paper, to meet people for resources to look good on paper. It wasn't because I thought I needed to have a degree, um, mm-hmm. but I knew that those things were possible in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll give you an example. I went to go study abroad for a year, and I got way more money to study abroad than I ever got to go to school in the States. Really? How did that happen? It, you just... I guess because it's more, I don't know, because it's more niche. And so I applied for various different scholarships that are specifically only for study abroad. And I got it. And I still leverage, I figured out how to leverage my same financial aid while abroad. So that added up there. And by the time I looked at it, I was like, wow. Well, I think, well, you look at that. Can't get any money here, but I could get money for over there. Yeah. And where were you um, stationed? Or where were you? Ooh, are you in a military background? No, I just couldn't oh. think. I've never done study abroad, <laughs> so I'm like, what do you say when you are a study? Where were you housed? Where were you located? Where'd like, you where'd you go? Okay, where'd you live? Okay, but station, station is a military term. I'm very formal. Sometimes my language can be very much more formal, but no, I just, I just was pulling for a location. <laughs> where'd you live? It's so like comfortable, but. <laughs> Be fancy guys. <laughs> Where were you stations? stations yeah. I guess just as foreign as a as an army brat would be, or a, a person in the military. Station sounds just as like foreign to me as as like a, a study abroad. So who knows? I'm like they could they might use stationed in there. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? They would have said live. Them things those people over there doing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where were you out in them over there? <laughs> I went to Brazil. And then when I tell people, they're like, so you're Brazilian? No. I'm not Brazilian. <laughs> How long were you there? Just a semester? A year. Okay. Nice. Did yeah. you learn like Spanish? Not Spanish, but I did learn Portuguese. Portuguese. Got it. Want to give us a little bit? Like, ask me a question and I'll respond. Well, I guess. Where do you live? Eu morava no São Paulo. So I said I lived in Sao Paulo, the city. Mm, okay, I'm not even going to try to do that right now. You guys are not going to hear me try okay, to roll. So I think the two phrases that are important is uh, Bom dia. Bom dia. Good morning. Okay. And obrigada. Obrigada. Thank you. Okay, look, I'm coming to Brazil, y'all. <laughs> yeah, you should. You, you should. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's we can definitely, go. I'll, I'll, you know. It's definitely so. Look, if you got some peeps out there, and then we can like go hang out at nah. the crib. No peeps. No you peeps. Make friends. I tell you, man. Everywhere in the Brazilian culture, they are the most loving mm. people. Culturally, not. I mean, I've been several, a few places. It's not that. Their other cultures aren't loving, but my experience and my time there was just so welcoming, mm-hmm. and it was great. 
we can we can have a whole session. We have a whole episode on travel. I can't and, wait and experiences. Yes, I never got a chance to go to Brazil because of the two hundred dollar visa. And it oh, was like you had to plan. I got rid of that after I got my visa, my ten year visa. I was like, dang, why did I just paid for this? No, they got it. But yeah, no visa requirement. Now? Oh, see, uh, for years I wanted to go to Brazil. And it's not the $200. It was just I was always planning trips so short in advance and it wasn't enough time for me to get the visa. So, um, because I used to work at an airline. So I would just go. But. I never got a chance to go to Brazil, but it's definitely on my list, so we can go first, sure. and we can make new friends. Mm-hmm. We we let, let me on another topic. Okay. We can talk travel. I can talk travel all the time. Okay, I know that's not the objective of this. So, <laughs> needless to say, I came back. So my whole point is that I've I've worked throughout my since I was fifteen, but I've done a variety of things. So, um, I was in sales, so I was slinging them knives. Early on. Oh, Beckham. Mm-hmm. Cutco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which everybody, yes, I love those lives. See, you should never <laughs> sell anything that you don't, don't believe in. Don't believe in. And I believe in it. Like, to this day, I, I was having a conversation with someone. I was like, yes, those are so great. Everybody needs them. And they're like, are you still selling? So I'm like, no, but they're great. Yeah. Um, if, obviously, if you're a chef, you're going to get different tools. But for everyone else, they they cooking. Yes. Okay. But I was in sales. And then, um, and I've always kind of had side jobs in the restaurant industry mm-hmm. um, while doing whatever else, school or a main job per se. Mm-hmm. Then I spent some time um, with the United States Peace Corps, not as a volunteer, but in the regional office. And that's okay. what I did for my work study position all throughout college. So, well, for four years of my college before I left. Okay. Then I did, I worked for... Um, as I was, when I came back stateside to uh, the U.S. from Brazil, then I worked for uh, the largest distribution and manufacturing. Um, so the company was the largest distribution and manufacturing mm-hmm. for Latin products in the oh. Southeast. Mm-hmm. That was a ton of fun. And it was very, is a family owned, operated and run company that that was the, that was a really good experience. Um, I, I recommend, there's a lot of things I can recommend career-wise, guys. So if you are college or you know someone entering into college or coming out of college, I highly always recommend folks to consider what type of organization they want to work for because there's a, such a different experience between small, mid, and corporate, like yeah. um, like enterprise level. Mm-hmm. And it's completely different. And yes, so if you're if you happen to be in college, I know you're just like, I want a job, I need some money, I need to get paid. Don't care what it is. Granted, I hear you. But keep in mind that there are different experiences with different size organizations. So Absolutely. You're putting us on game. So anybody out there who's considering a career um, and not necessarily doing their research on that that level. Of the company, and even like that, because the size of the company de- determines the culture of the company. Yeah. And then like some of those things that we don't necessarily consider is important. So I feel like you just gave a quick word for those of us <laughs> who are trying to figure out, you know, what what company do you want to go to next? So thank you for that. Right, but it it, it significantly shapes the experience <clears throat> that you have, not just from a culture perspective, but so number one, I, I think that all people should do sales. Uh, it's a fundamental skill in life. 
I agree. Whether you like it or not, it's what you want to do. Doing something in sales, it it was like, wow. Um, I'm not a salesperson, but I definitely don't regret doing what I did because mm-hmm. it's fundamental. But then working for um, a medium-sized company, I got to do so much. And mm-hmm. that's typically how it is because you it's not compared to like enterprise. Enterprise, there's a ton of people. So your job, you have this one very specific thing that you do because there's so much volume that you can only really focus on this one thing. Mm-hmm. There's people for every other aspect of it. Right. Which is, you know, like now, um, we have our, my prior department is bigger than most companies. We have over 10,000 people in just our department. Mm-hmm. So that contrasts that to my time being in a medium-sized organization. I did everything from every kind of inventory in the warehouse to set onboarding new people because we acquired a company to planning the holiday party to mm. um you know loading doing the um not actual physically loading the trucks but loading the trucks on paper because you have to balance okay. weight and uh capacity and all that stuff lots of distribution and supply chain mm-hmm. supply mm-hmm. chain yep and um so i did and even with the Peace Corps, that's different. It's a foreign service entity or government entity mm-hmm. um, is different. They only have their own rules and vibe and requirements and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I did all of that uh, and through my college years. Uh, and yeah, so I'm finishing up my degree. And then I joined corporate America, quite literally, um, big enterprise top. Fortune 50, so top 10% of the Fortune 500, and that was a different experience. And um, when it comes to, there's so many tidbits specific to kind of how to navigate, how to transition, what I did for interviewing. I don't know if that's where you want to go. Whatever is the journey for you, whichever one taught you the biggest lesson, because I think that shift from a medium size to a larger size, now that you bring up the level of autonomy that you have, or not even autonomy, Ooh, so the, okay. And and also the variety of that you get a chance to touch and the different parts of the organization that you're able to affect um, and then transitioning to a corporation, I'm sure that has its transition. And then your journey to even get the job. I mean, like, so, so for me, I, Got my job in my, my junior year of college, so I didn't even go through the whole shuffle that I know a lot of my peers did. So mm-hmm. it depends on whichever part of that journey shaped you the most. I'd love to hear. Who the most? Okay. You asked me to prioritize qualify you know, the absolutely. most. It all shaped me. Absolutely, it all shaped you. But this, this is how I identify the most, right? Mm-hmm. When we think about the transition and the first thing that pops up into our mind, if it's Oh, my my resume. Then let's go there. Then because in our minds, if the, if if we notice our thoughts, we prioritize all the time. Like there's a shuffleboard of growth. There's a shuffleboard of experiences that make us who we are. But it's those first things that stand out that allows us to organize our thoughts and and tell a story in a chronological order, and then identify what's most impactful. Yeah. Interviewing. Mm, because that encompasses pretty much everything Mm. but it also encompasses action right and it encompasses like real life 
It's not theoretical. You can take a class on business, but starting a business, running a business, mm-hmm. is completely different than I'm reading this book about business and reading case studies, right? Yep. Learning about interviewing essentially is what you're saying. <laughs> when you're in front of somebody, you, right. it's practices. <laughs> it, that all goes out the door. And so yeah. when I think about the most, I think interviewing combines everything I learned in sales. So about how to read a person, how to engender um, likability, mm-hmm. how to speak, how to communicate uh, m- my message, how to tailor my experiences. So whether that's while I was abroad, whether that was in sales, whether that was working for the Peace Corps, whether that was whatever experience that I had, distribution manufacturing or logistics, and being able to do that live in person and keeping in mind, right, what is it that this person wants or needs? Yes. How can I communicate that? How can I play this game of hire me, pick me? The number one thing I'll tell people is every job, when you're in college, right? When you're in college, every job is the best job. Don't qualify whether you want that job or not um, before you even get the offer. Like, there's nothing to qualify. Hmm. You haven't got an offer. How are you going to be like, I don't want it. Uh, That's not good. Okay. So what you're saying is, is as a college student, going to every interview with the mindset that you want to work for that company no matter what? Or are you saying... With the mindset that every job is the best job. And that does what for you? One, it's going to come through in the interview. Got you. Number one. You're going to sound excited. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to come across. Yeah. And you want to get the offer. That's the point. Yep. But even more than that, especially when you're in college and talking about experiences, right? The more you interview, the better you'll get at it. The more comfortable you'll be. The more fluid you'll be. The more confident you'll seem. The more together you are. Yes. And if you're just saying, oh, I only want this one job because this is this the one specific thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be ready because you didn't practice. And you know like the greats, they practice like they play. Yes. And it, if you, you know, you get that job and it's time to play, but you haven't practiced, you're just going to be bent out of shape and having a puff and you can't perform. Absolutely. Especially if you get that one opportunity that you've been waiting for and you have not been interviewing before that, then this is your first time. You're literally practicing on your game day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who does that? Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, who does that? Yes. Yes. So that's why I say you have to go into it with that mindset. Now you can choose which jobs you apply for. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. And but if you're applying, then every job is the best job. Every company yeah. is the best job. Yeah. And it's not until you get the offer that you decide, hey, is this for me? Because yeah. you have something. You have an offer in your hand yeah. to decide. So I um, interviewed for logistics companies, interviewed for sales companies, interviewed for, um, you know, corporate type companies, whether industry it was in, right? So I talked to people in gas, I talked to people in insurance, I talked to people in data. Um, I interviewed and I literally... Um, went about and so my tactic was a couple of things so 
I not only learned how to communicate, learned how to read and, and to apply that in, in person, in the real life scenario, mm -hmm. but it also came down to what works. So I knew that on paper, I don't get callbacks. Okay. I have evidence of it too. Mm. But in person, man, it's like a whole new world. Yeah. So when I really got serious, I leveraged the career fairs. And going to a big school, we had hundreds, of, we had two huge career fairs just from my university level, and then the college had their own, uh, the business college. So, you know, several times a year, at least four times a year, there were these opportunities to be in front of people. Mm -hmm. I literally told the, the guy to help get me hired, you should hire me. I'll make you look good one day. Ooh! <laughs> Do you guys need a tip or what? Is that not the copiest thing ever? I love it. Did he hire you? Yeah. He enjoyed that comment. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet you he didn't forget me. But at the same time, I came correct. I came prepared. Not mm -hmm. only had I had all these experiences, so all the, the companies and things that I listed before mm -hmm. on paper, mm -hmm. the grades and all that stuff. Uh, but I also, you know, I had my black and white resume inside a visual resume. Mm. So I had printed that. So when I went to um, the career fair, I put the company's name on the outside. And I had a visual resume on the inside um, between, you know, two, three, and four pages, the back page. And then I had the black and white copy of my traditional resume right there. And, you know, there's... You know, there's a couple of things with that. I did recruiting um, once I was in corporate America. So sometimes they just throw out that stuff. Sometimes they might remember, but sometimes not, you know, but it didn't matter. It's kind of like how to win friends and influence people. Absolutely. People love their name. Okay. So do companies. If that person is a recruiter, One, they probably have a job to do, so they have a quota to fill, yeah. number one, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they got to get talent that's qualified that can do the job to meet whatever goals, right? But two, if they're a recruiter, they're probably, you know, hopefully they're a people's person, right? And generally, hopefully, they, they enjoy what they do. And if you're a recruiter, like if you're a company, right, hopefully you would put people in positions that are fans of your company. Right. So... If the people put in position to bring in talent are fans of the company, then of course, you see the company's brand logo right there, nice visually appealing. Right. Like, oh, hey, you want the extra mile. Even though it's like, oh, we don't need this, but it, it stands out. And when you're in a career fair and you're just, people are going in, and, 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 just people, person after person. Yes. Anything you can do to stand out. So you're making the visual resume for you, you think, made you stand out from a, from your namesake is what you're saying. Like it brought out visibility. It brought um, your name to the top of the list. Not necessarily them liking their, their own brand, but you creating a brand for yourself and then a, a visual resume that would go along with that. So they'd be like, oh. It was, if I put it into like entrepreneurship terms, right? You should, if you want somebody to do something, tell them how it's going to benefit them or appeal to them in the way that they want to be appealed to. Okay. And so 
if the recruiter, hopefully, the company put a person who's a fan of the company in the recruiting position. Right. Right? And you have the company's visually appealing package in front of them, then now they have something in their hand that automatically they're a ties back to their brand. So the visual resume that you created was not your own brand. You used their company to create a resume. Did you do that for all of the companies? Um, so to be honest, the visual resume sounds great in hindsight. I, I created it because... One, I like creative outlets, number one. And mm-hmm. so when I got it, so there was this, I don't know how I got Oh, there was this website that someone had about, like, they had a digital resume. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. And so then I was going to a career fair, and I was like, you know what? Let me use some of these images that I created, because I was like, I like these things. <laughs> <laughs> I like these things. And I put it together. And then I was like, well, let me appeal so I know whose is who, right? Um, so I slapped as big as possible and the, the highest quality uh, image, right, of the company's logo on the front. Okay. So I know who's is who. Okay. But um, yes, so so that that was you know it was kind of an internal motivation for me because I was like I like this, this is a pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> I thought actually how many people are going to walk up to you with a visual resume? So I knew it set me apart. Yeah. Now. I'm not saying go out there and create a visual resume because I actually do not think anybody called me back, hired me, or whatever oh, because, because I had that. a visual resume. Mm-hmm. It was just a. It was pretty. It, it was, was good. That plus it was your personality, and they were able to remember. Okay, big fat logo, big girl with a big person with a big personality. <laughs> not, not big big girl. <laughs> little girl with a big personality. <laughs> <laughs> so you're able to, you know, create an impression that way. Yeah. And I think that is definitely, even if they didn't call you back specifically for that, I think that's a really good creative thing for a college student to even try because they have the time. I mean, when you think about a, a corporate professional, like... Do they have the time, though? Um, Girl, do you remember college? I'm crazy. I have a crazy <laughs> work ethic. So, like, you, and even you, you had two jobs when you were in college. I feel like... A lot of my friends didn't have didn't have jobs. So either you're going to school or you're going to school. So if you're going to school, then you have time to create a visual resume. And even if it doesn't create that, you know, immediate turnover, it's just it's just something that will make your make you stand out in a sea of 300, 400 other students. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally would say, like, based on your story, it just it goes with, you know, your brand. So. That's just great feedback, even if we don't feel like it created a conversion. I mean, we can't even calculate that, right? What? Well, I mean, if you need a job, like business, you got you to gotta get the customer, you got to make the sale, you got to you know, eat, mm-hmm. right? So you should pay attention to what converts. But Absolutely. you also got to look at it holistically, too, in that, for me, that creative aspect of it was really fun for me. It actually made me really excited. Mm. And being able to hand that to somebody, even though they threw it in the trash, you know, or whatnot, because, you know, they were just collecting resumes to scan into their system, which sometimes, depending on kind of which organization, they will do that. That's their method. Sometimes they'll actually go through all the physical resumes. It just depends on who you're dealing with. But um, it, it made me happy. Yeah. And... It was strategic, 
and I justified it. And yes, it does go with my brand, but at the end of the day, it made me happy. And that I think was important because that comes through. And the other aspect of it was even before that, it's just me understanding and knowing that when I get in front of a person, mm-hmm. it's a done deal. On, you know, going through a computer system, didn't really have a chance. Mm. Same resume, same person, didn't work the same way. Yeah. And that's the key there. So knowing yourself, knowing what works, and then figuring out ways how to get yourself in the environment or, or whatever it needs to be for you to succeed. And then finding ways to have fun in it. So for me, the visual resume was fun. It was exciting for me. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, this. It, I made a visual resume, so I felt good about myself. And I'm over here telling people, you should hire me. I'll make you look good. I actually only said that to that one person. <laughs> so, I didn't say that to everybody. <laughs> I like that. Hey. <laughs> So what happened? So what, is that? Did you get hired from the career fair, and is that how you started your career trajectory? I did. Okay. So, um, I think I had a total of seven or so offers. Oh, nice. Three of which were top contenders. Mm-hmm. Um, I had interviews with, you know, top companies. Um, but the point was, is that, and that's what I'm saying, like seven offers gives you something to choose from because every job was the best job. Remember that. And then I could decide, do I want this or do I want this? You know? Um, and I actually think all seven of them came from in-person interaction. Yeah. From the initial gate, not just, um, a system and then. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what what career path did you take yourself on from there? So for me, the phase that I was in, so at, by this time, I had already lived abroad for a year. Mm-hmm. And I had discovered the fact that I really do like home. Home being America. <laughs> <laughs> Not Seattle, y'all. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I love you, Seattle. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I was ready to not be so much of a nomad. So some of my close friends—well, one of my friends actually calls me a gypsy because um, you know I would always be going to a new place. I never wanted to put roots down because I always wanted to be able to get up and go. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I was ready to, I realized that I need to make money, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, I don't, don't know if I could really make, I didn't see the way that I could make a sustainable career out of what I was doing. Um, and three, I kind of lacked the structure. And... I'm a disciplined person, or I can be, but structure is important. So I learned this later. But so at that time, I was ready for corporate America. Mm-hmm. I was ready for a job that was going to pay me my work. Mm-hmm. I was ready for stability. And I decided to go with a company that provided me that. So I had the t- top two offers that I was looking at, the companies were sizable or comparable in terms of size um, 
but it really came down to benefits and what I was going to do. So one of them was more of, it wasn't exactly sales, but it was in the sales realm. So it was putting together the communications for the sales teams for specific products and going to, um, you know, vendors and stuff like that and pitching that kind of thing. Uh, they actually offered me more money. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was in IT. Okay. And it had a pension. So ultimately. After how long? Five years. Why, man? I'm just saying, like, who considers a pension at college? <laughs> I, I'm an old soul. I'm an old soul. I chose my job because actually that's the reason why I told them I declined the other offer. Because of the pension? I said, I said, because, you know, they asked the recruiter or the, the people they ask you, like, why are you? I was like, hey, I really appreciate this process. I'm actually not going to go any further. I've decided to accept another offer. And then, of course, they asked why. And mm-hmm. I was like, or you know, they asked why to see if it comes down to money or something that they have control over. Mm-hmm. So if it was a money thing, they probably could have had around to offer more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, but then I was like, no, I doubt you can offer this. They have a pension. You don't. They're like, she was like, yeah. You're right. <laughs> well, have a good time. Um, so how long have you been there? Five years. <laughs> that is why, <laughs> full circle moment, we are now at a place where we have met as this uh, journey continues in the entrepreneurial realm because you are locked and loaded, sis, at least for this particular part and however much it is. You're, it's a, it creates a sense of stability long, in, in long term mm-hmm. in a way that allows you to explore something as variable as entrepreneurship as, as of right now, as an, a young entrepreneur. Yeah. Uh, yes. But? I mean, my pension ain't going to support me. Absolutely not. But it, it's like a, I think I invested for like a couple hundred bucks, maybe a oh. month. Well, okay, gotcha. So then, I mean, you'll, you'll eat every day. <laughs> I mean, so you, I, I hear when you get to the 10 year mark, that's when it really starts being like, oh, okay, this is something. Okay. Um, but if you think about it, like pensions are for careers. So that's, you know, 30 years. Like, there are people in my company who've been there for 30 years easily, mm-hmm. not a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, 20 years for sure. That's super common. Yeah. Um, when you said pension, my brain went 20 years. I said, whew, as a college student, I definitely was not locking myself in. Even today, it doesn't even have to be a college student. Like, don't take my opinion. My, my perspective on pension is not typical for my age. I'm an old soul. Mm. I have an old soul. Like, There's wisdom in that. So, um, I, and I appreciate, I appreciate that part. So, help me understand why pension at your age, like, was a was a selling point. Okay. Um, I have always been very interested in money, or well, I think a lot of people, say, you know, are interested. In it. Let me put it this way: I opened my first bank account when I was five, nice. with a hundred dollars in coin. There you go. Right and. And I had an opportunity to where, you know, my mom talked to me about, like, I knew what interest was. I have a, a note, a handwritten note for some money that 
my lend my my sister borrowed from me or my mom. <laughs> it's probably my mom. It's it's actually both. You know what? Uh, and it was like so I knew what it was, but I didn't exactly know how to implement it because it said, "You will pay me my money back by this date. If not, it will be twenty five cents per day of interest." And I was like, "Now hindsight would say, no, you charge interest at the moment the loan is made." Do not delay. It's not a deferred student loan. No, the day, twenty-five cents per day that at the time. The, out of your hands. Exactly. <laughs> it, needless to say, didn't matter. I didn't get that money. But whatever. <laughs> Making loans. Yeah. Um, so that is that's been my relationship from a very young age. Okay. So I always had this sense of awareness around. Hey, this financially is a solid, secure kind of thing to do. And that was at that point in time. And then knowing more about pensions and, and things of that nature, you know, 401k hasn't been around that long. Okay. It actually started, I think it was around the 90s, late 80s, 90s. But what was going on at that time was the market was so you know, like before the dot com boom and all that stuff, like during that time, the market was just like exponential. You're getting super returns, mm-hmm. and pensions were a thing. And pensions came about because it was also a response to what happened um, in response to like the fact that Social Security can you can survive on Social Security. So okay. Social Security is provided by the government, mm-hmm. and then. Companies and corporations as a benefit kind of have these pensions. Okay. And they provide these pensions because there's plenty of, there, it used to be the thing in the day. Yeah. And then get fast forward to the like 80s, 90s, and the market's super hot, and people are like, um, you're taking my money, but I can get a greater return on the market. Okay. And so this is how this thing of 401ks came out because okay. it gave people control over their investments. Yeah. Or more control than a pension, right? Because a pension is, you don't see it, you don't touch it, somebody somewhere else does it, manages it, and, you know, you hope that they're growing the pot. They're making good decisions to grow the pot Mm -hmm. so that you can get paid later. Okay. Um, And is it variable? Like, is the pension, the amount that you get, um, is there in any way, you said it sounds like there's no way to predict how much you'll get, but there's some type of security in it based on... There, no, you could, it's, I don't know how all pensions work, but mm-hmm. for ours, for example, it, there's a calculation to it. So it's based on, I think, something like to the effect of your three highest earning years. Um, okay. And you get a percentage of pay out from your three highest earning years. And there's okay. some other stuff there. I actually haven't looked into how it's calculated yet because okay. it just still seems so far off for me. But something to that, there's a calculation in terms of what, how you can calculate your payout. Okay. But the difference is, is that somebody else is managing the portfolio for the pension. Mm-hmm. So that's how pensions kind of, so the, 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 the company puts away money and sets it aside and then you, they invest it and they invest it in things. Typically, I would say pensions invest in things that are more secure, so they're not as risky, they're they're more risk adverse, so they're more guaranteed, which means that there's generally a steadier rate of return, but uh, a lower rate of return. Mm-hmm. So, um, could a four hundred one k match 
So like all of the things a pension would be invested in, the 401k could also match a pension portfolio if they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this could be a whole nother conversation. I am not a financial advisor. Mm, well, you know, I just See, want to if you are looking for financial <laughs> help, you should seek a qualified professional. So um, as we talk about, so of course, we're going to have Ms. Victoria back for another conversation about your idea of um, entrepreneurship and then your, your endeavors into your next your next degree, which we never even got a chance to get into. But as it relates to your pension, I think it's really important that you share that part of like the way you're considering stability and how you want to move forward. So um, to give us an idea of what's to come, what is your idea of the next couple of months or year? And what do we have to look forward to in Miss Victoria's life? Mm, so much oh, consistency on social media would be number one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My goal is to be a content creator, influencer, have great content, or more, more specifically, put it out there. I yeah. record, <laughs> do stuff all the time. I record all kinds of things. Um, then, from a life standpoint, I'm moving, so leaving where I currently am, back to the West Coast, so that'll be good. Nice. And a nice change of pace. Uh, I don't think it'll be permanent or forever, but you never know. And career-wise, I made my big bigger transition um, a year and a half ago, so I joined a new team. So I will stay with this current team that I'm on, which is an interesting space for anyone in the IT space on the product side, so really heavily into product management. So we have actually gotten into um, your mind to understand how you've evolved as a woman, how you've decided what, how you've discerned what your identity is, how you've learned your skills and the skills that are going to take you through the um, the job search process, and how you learned what assets actually get you to where you want to go, and how to communicate those things. So it sounds like on the next part of the journey, it's a lot of figuring out what your stability looks like. And then I definitely want to get into your your next degree choice. Um, but we've actually you've, you've put us in a great space for us to be able to see like what happens next. So we'll be able to come in and check on some of the things like where where is she going to be? Is she going back to the West Coast? We'll see. So until next time, I want to thank you for joining us. sharing your story I think it really resonates with anyone out there who's trying to figure out what their identity actually is and even for people who are looking for certain parts of themselves and other people um, because there's there's a journey in your story so I appreciate that so thank you for joining us thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for part two because it's coming guys (laughs) peace out